tell your friends the Mark and Max show is back and better than ever. Sell crazy someplace else. We're all stocked up here. LifeRadio.fm. It's the Mark and Mac show. How are you, Mark of the Congleman? <laughs> I do it well, thank thee. Um, <laughs> it, I still will never forget. Verily, it beeth Friday. <laughs> Scott Dawson on the golf course when you were first learning how to golf. Uh, it was only your third or second or third time on the course. Oh, I know. It was horrible. And we're playing a, a course that no longer exists, but a lot of houses with really nice yards. <laughs> and um, he, he turns to me and said, hey, man, you think one of us should go help the Congleman? Oh, man. And oh, I said, Scott, okay. I don't think he really wants us. <laughs> you know, let's just let him, let him find his way. He'll be all right. It takes great. It takes. I was frustrated. It, but it takes so much to pick up a sport, okay? Mm-hmm. When you're not, uh, I think it's safe to say you're not an athletically inclined individual. Oh, no. I don't know that you're not capable. I think you just didn't play when you were growing up. No, and I'm, that's one of the things as you get older, if you didn't play sports when you were younger, yep. well, it's a little tough to teach your body after 40, you know, what well, to yeah. do. Those parts of your and brain you get did. filled up with other stuff too. So, yeah. yes, but you did. And you tried to learn something and it was probably embarrassing for you. I think mm-hmm. at first because you were doing it with people that did golf and had golf for a while, yeah. but you stuck it out and you played and now you're better than a lot of people I know that have played for 20 years. Wow. And so, I, th- I mean, for real, you don't realize that you actually are more athletic than you know, mm. just because you just weren't, ex- you were not exposed to it, I guess. Yeah. And it's just, but I've used your example of regardless of uh, what you, what others think, if mm. you have a passion about doing something and you want to learn, you will be embarrassed at first because you're not going to be Jack Nicholas or, you know, yeah. Tiger Woods. It, you know, it takes time. You don't just pick up a guitar, have one lesson and start playing like Eric Clapton. It doesn't right. work like that. Yeah. And uh, you did, and you got out there and you stayed with it. And like I said, it, now I get, it, I know you haven't played much lately, but it became yeah. a really nice hobby for you for a while. Really enjoyed it. My, um, our buddy Mike and I would go at least once a week and we'd play, have a lot of fun. And um, I remember one time uh, Scott and I hadn't, Scott Dawson and I had not played together f- for years. And we were on the Gulf Coast doing an event and had a break and went with a couple of other people to play golf. And oh, wow. I bet he gave them a warning check. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember that first tee, that first tee box, uh, mm-hmm. everybody, you know, I ended up going last. And I, right. by that time, I had a, a nice set of Callaways. I've been, you know, right. I've been I'm playing for a while. <laughs> right. And pop. And I'm out, I'm out there in the fairway with the rest of them. Dawson wow. says, Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's because he probably hadn't played with you since that first no, time. No, he, we played. Had, he had not. Okay. Well, just and one last thing. The first time he went playing, we were at the tee box, and Mark was not able to hit the ball. And yeah. we actually let people play through at our first tee. Right. Go ahead. Y'all go ahead. I mean, when you have the Joy Luck Club passing you on the first hole, okay? <laughs> yeah, so anyway. The tenth, tenth tee at Eagle Point. I'll never yeah. forget it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I have used this example many times that if you are willing to put in the work, there is a payoff, you know, and you did, and there is, and I'm glad Scott got to see that. That's yeah. kind of neat. So <laughs> there you go. That's our, our quest for today is to let you know that no matter how old or how young you are, if you truly want to learn a new trick, it takes time. 
And when I get home today, I'll pass by my golf clubs in the garage and dust them off and apologize to them again. <laughs> LifeRadio.fm. It is the Mark and Mac Show, and we are here on Friday, believe it or not. <laughs> well, we missed Monday. We have to be here today. Oh, did we? Yeah, we I think did. So, yeah. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> it doesn't feel like we missed it. All right, Mark. So this Chinese guy did something that um, it's pretty cool because mm -hmm. this is the kind of Guinness Book of World Record that I like. Okay. I'm just throwing yeah. it out there yeah. because it goes back to the first break. If you really want to be good at something, you have to keep trying. Right. And all of us could try to get good at this. Yeah. Yeah, we could. I'm not sure I will, but we could. <laughs> what is that? It's a major award. Shucks, I wouldn't know, Dad. It looks like a lamb. A 21-year-old Chinese college student broke a Guinness World Record when he used only four fingers to do 22 push-ups in one minute and clapped his hands in between each push-up. <laughs> Show off. You've seen those guys. They push up off the ground, yeah. pop, and they, they oh, yeah. yeah. He did it with two fingers on each hand on the ground. Wow. <laughs> Zhang Yushan, a, a student at uh, Shangxi Aviation Vocational <laughs> and Technical College. Yeah, I'm making it up as I go. Said he uh, started training his body with weights and push-ups at the age of 13. And he started doing finger push-ups as a junior high student after seeing the exercise being performed in kung fu movies. He says, I trained myself by watching reference videos and materials online. Soon I realized that no one seemed to have demonstrated finger push-ups while clapping at the same time. This stimulated my desire for the challenge. He said it was difficult to explain his goal to his peers. Quote, at the time I was in high school, when everyone talked about their dreams, I would always say I wanted to challenge the Guinness World Records title. But my classmates would always laugh at me, saying I was bragging. Well, he successfully earned his first record, most four-finger push-ups, two arms, with claps in one minute after completing 22 of them. He said more record attempts are in his future. Quote, I think I have the ability to challenge records for one-hour push-ups, three-hour plank, fingertip push-ups with weights, handstand walking, and sit-ups. Next, I'll prepare for these record applications and, <clears throat> and train seriously, so please look forward to it. Yeah. Okay. This, but again, this is the one that I like mm -hmm. because even though, okay, it doesn't require any luck and it doesn't require you sitting there watching your hair grow. This right, actually yeah. has a set of rules. Here's what you do. And it is something that by the, if, by the way, it would make you more healthy if you did these, you know, if right, you learned yeah. how to do it's true. Now I don't think I could do, oh, well, he, how many he did uh, 22 pushups in mm -hmm. one minute? Right. Okay. Um, I could do 22 pushups between, now in the time I die, they won't be all in a row and I'll be divided up by days, weeks, months off. But, you know, I could narrow it down. I could get down to 22 pushups in an hour. You know, he, he says one of the, his goals is the three hour plank. Right. And the plank is, is like a, a push up, but you're on your elbows and your toes and you hold your body rigid. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it takes an, an amazing amount of core strength to do that. Mm -hmm. I, at one time I was doing planks at one time um i got wow. up to three minutes three hours is impossible there's just no <laughs> way <laughs> but again it's something that you've got a marker out there and yeah. you can work to you can try to set that record and that these are the ones i like just saying yeah
liferadio.fm Mark and Mac Joe. And Mark, you know, a few minutes ago, we were talking about the uh, guy doing the push-ups yeah. in all different ways. I didn't know what a plank was. Oh. You know, when you were talking about a three-hour plank, I didn't really know what that was. Yes. I was thinking of when people did that whole planking thing where they would just oh, yeah. all of a sudden lay down and pretend they were a plank, that kind of thing. Right, That's what yes. I thought he was doing. And I thought, I couldn't lay still for three hours. You know, I mean, I wouldn't move a lot, but I couldn't do it for three hours. But, you know. Oh, just, man. But I remember when I was back. Oh, boy, this is the sad part of reality when you're a kid. We went to see the movie Rocky, okay? Mm, yeah. <laughs> I have to thank my English teacher at the time in eighth grade because it was a boxing movie. You know, we were yeah. we had Muhammad Ali, and granted, he was at the tail end of his really, you know, big career um, of boxing. He had gotten a little bit older by then. But anyway, eighth grade, the movie Rocky comes out, and it's been out for months. You know, back when they used to keep movies in theaters for months, <laughs> and if yeah, they were really yeah. successful, maybe a whole year. Well, it was in, it was like before the Academy Awards came out and, uh, our English teacher was talking about the different movies that were up for grabs and which ones were literary works before they became movies and things like that. Hmm. And she said, but the movie you really want to go see is Rocky. And she talked about the, her whole thing again, if she was English teacher, so it was about the writing and this story. And she said, and if you guys think this is a boxing movie, it's not Okay. What is it then? You know, well, now and, I don't want to go see it. Thanks. Right. It was about, that was the whole thing. It was about all these other things. And she was right, but it was, mm -hmm. I wasn't going to go see it, but after she talked about it and then it wins the Academy Award best picture and all that. And so we went to go see it. Now, again, a movie that had been out for many, many months at this point, and I'm going to see it in like May of eighth grade. Right. Right. And there were still lines to get in to see it. Mm -hmm. that's that's something kids young people today will not know what that is like that's true you know yeah, yeah. and that's that's kind of sad because it's really a neat thing to experience collectively with another group of people who are experiencing something for the first time and we came out of that boxing that movie rocky wanted to do exercises and he did the one-arm push-ups you know and was bouncing between he was doing all these things during the workout sequence and so what did we do well my buddies and i uh we decided it, again it was in may and we decided that as soon as school got out, we were going to start training like Rocky Balboa every morning. We were going to get up, you know, now again, eighth and ninth grade kids, right? Right. Yeah. We're going to get up early because Rocky got up early and yeah. we're going to get up early and gather together and we're going to jog together we're gonna, because you know what? Doing this together will make it better. We'll challenge you. I mean, that was our whole plan. First morning, the first morning, three of us were up and ready to go at like five or 6 a.m. I can't remember what it was. And we go down to get Bill Gamble. I'll never forget. And Bill was the one, hey, man, we got to make sure we get up early because I, I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the time, and it would get up to 100 degrees before noon, you oh, know. And yeah. So we got to get Bill. We're knocking on his window and nothing. No, he's not getting up. Finally, his mom comes to the front door. You boys leave him alone. You know, what are you doing? And, <laughs> and she Anyway, so Bill finally joined us. And for three, two or three days, um, each day we had like five guys. Well, no, we had five guys the first day, uh, four on the second by the third day, it was just me and one other guy. And he looked at me as we got ready to do our jogging that morning. He goes, I'm going back to bed. And so it was just me. And it's like, you know, everybody wanted the end result. Right. Everybody yeah. wanted to look like an, you know, a boxer. Everybody wanted to be able to do these incredible things they saw him do in the movie. Everybody wanted to do that. They wanted the end result. But nobody was willing to dedicate themselves to making it happen. Mm. That's life. Thank you. 
wildliferadio.fm. The Mark and Mac Show. It's a very beautiful day. It's Friday. We're at work. Wow. You know, (laughs) we're inside where it's not raining. Yeah. Oh, I know. (laughs) Hey, man, um, this headline says meteorites hit Maine. Mm -hmm. Museum offers $25,000 reward. Right. So did they hit or not? Are they offering a reward for proof? Is that what we're doing? (laughs) Somebody just said those. They're like, okay, we got UFOs all over Maine. No, those were meteorites. All right. We're going to offer a reward. Find the meteorite. (laughs) Either that or, or find the aliens who threw them at us. There's a $25,000 reward. Well, somewhere in a remote stretch of forest near Maine's border with Canada, rocks from space crashed to Earth and may be scattered across the ground, just waiting to be picked up. If you're the first to find a really big one, a museum says it'll pay you out a $25,000 reward. The unusually bright fireball could be seen in broad daylight around noon last Saturday. This is what Daryl Pitt says. He's the chair of the meteorite division at the Maine mineral and gem museum in bethel well i bet you got to get season tickets to be able to see all that you know mineral and gem museum Uh gotta be packed that's right it's Mm. that guy from big bang theory he's got a season pass (laughs) see it all before noon yeah (laughs) burton i'm just thinking they're going to steal something from delaware on this one that's it nasa said the meteorite fall was observed on radar a first for maine and witnesses heard sonic booms The museum wants to add to its collection of moon and Mars rocks, Pitt said. So the first meteorite hunters to deliver a one kilo, that's a 2.2 pound specimen, will claim the $25,000 prize. According to Pitt, the fact that uh, that radar detected the fiery descent assures the meteorites can be found on the ground. Quote, with more people having an awareness, the more people will look and the greater the likelihood of a recovery. Uh, Still, there's no guarantee there are any meteorites big enough to claim the payout. NASA said on its website that the meteorite masses calculated from the radar signatures range from uh, four thousandths of a pound to just a little over half a pound. Although Uh, larger masses may have fallen, the museum's asking meteorite hunters to brush up on what meteorites look like before searching so they know what they're looking for and to Mm -hmm. and also to avoid private property unless they have permission. You know what? A morning radio show up there ought to find one and hide it somewhere and then give out clues every day to see if anybody yeah. can find where it is. I'm yeah. just saying that that might be a way to go. Yeah. Or something like that. You want, like get an old bowling ball from a thrift store and paint meteorite on the outside oh of it. Gosh, that's <laughs> funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> LifeRadio.fm, the Mark and Mac show. <laughs> you know, Mark, well, I need to tell you, well, uh, my my grandson Braylon is playing Little League. You yeah. know, he's in a coach pitch league, which not a big fan of. I like it better, I think, than, well, I don't, I, I don't like it, but it's probably a best alternative, you know? Because when you got kids that are under the age of eight, nine years old, you, you get a pitcher and a catcher together, and it's tough because... Most of the guys that are pitching at that age are going to throw one strike out of every four or five pitches they throw. Mm. The catcher is only going to catch one or two of the four or five that are thrown. The rest <laughs> are rolling back to the backstop, and it just becomes a really long game for oh, no reason. Yeah, you know? yeah. A lot of walks. Um, uh, anyway, so doing coach pitch, there's certain uh, restrictions that apply. You know, they only get seven pitches. If the coach doesn't throw one over for the kid to hit, it's on him. You know, it's his mm. team, and and so. It teaches the kids to wait for a good pitch, but also, you know, it's it's competitive. And and anyway, I think it's an interesting way to go. 
I'm just not a fan. I think you teach children how to play the game. One of the things like in T-ball they teach is whatever kid is fastest and is actually good at playing, if he catches the ball, he just chases the runners, okay, yeah. to try to outrun them to the base. <laughs> yeah. Because half the kids at this, these ages, they don't really run fast yet, you know? Right, yeah. And, and so they don't actually <laughs> learn to catch the ball, throw it to the appropriate base, and either get a force out or a tag out. They don't learn that. Right. They yeah. just learn catch the ball and chase. Right. And um, we have some kids in this next league up from that in coach pitch that do the same thing. Right. Now, if they play appropriately, if they play, play the right way, meaning the shortstop catches the ball and throws it to the first baseman to get a grounder uh, an out, right? Um, oftentimes, the shortstop is too far away to make a good throw, okay? They're just not big enough yet. And if he is big enough to do that, the first baseman's not big enough to catch a ball coming that fast. Right. Think of how hard you have to throw it. Yeah. To get it from shortstop or third base to first base, it's a long throw. So it's going to have some beef on it, right? Yeah. It's just there are so many things that go wrong in the playing of this game. Last night at a tournament in Lincoln, we had a couple of outs like that where we had one where the third baseman caught it and, and got a force out at second base. Uh, we had another one where a kid was coming home, and uh, which Braylon plays catcher. Kid coming home, and the shortstop got the cut, uh, throw from out in the field, out in left field, makes a good throw to the shortstop as a cutoff man. He picks it up and throws a bullet to Braylon uh, behind the plate, and Braylon tags the guy out. It was an amazing thing. There, that was a good play. Um, another one, Braylon, as the catcher, you know, if you foul, foul the ball off, right? If you're the hitter and you hit the ball, but it fouls off, it goes straight up and maybe falls back. The catcher can catch that for an out. Um, in most of the leagues at this level, the backstop is very close to the catcher, so that doesn't happen very often. The reason it's close is because the catchers don't catch the ball very often. And if it's too far away, they're going to be chasing the ball all day. Anyway, Braylon caught one. I mean, it was shocking. It was it was shocking because he was able to do it. It's like wow. So they're learning how to play these things. But that's the that's the three or four kids on the team that are actually older, have been playing a little bit, yeah. and have learned how to play. Yeah. So you got three of these, four of these kids on one team. All the other kids, man, they're one step up from T-ball. You know, so <laughs> they're still counting if, the flowers in the outfield, yes, picking their noses, and yes, yes you have Mark. <laughs> I heard the other team, I'm not going to tell you that it was, uh, I'm not going to tell you the team. A mom, actually, I heard her say, quit picking your butt. <laughs> and, and so, it's like, yeah. But anyway, the whole crux of this is, it was raining last night, and yes. it was a school night, and it's a tournament. Uh, but here are some rules to follow. If you've got six, seven, eight-year-old kids out there in a game on a school night, it ought to end at 8 p.m. That's the late. It, no matter who's batting, yeah. no matter what's up, game ends at 8. Yeah. That's got to be it. Um, umpires have to actually know the rules. That's another one. <laughs> um, these are some of Dave's rules. And if you're playing and there's rain mixed with lightning, the game is over. Yeah. And because they were used metal, they use aluminum yeah. bats. Yeah. Everything around them is metal. Yep. And it's just, come on, guys. Let's, you know, that. I don't see how this is an issue to discuss, you know, right, yeah. because last night it was raining. It was after eight o'clock. It was lightning and they were still playing. And, mm. uh, Hannah, because she knows how I am about this. She grew up with watching me with the other kids, you know? And she goes, dad, should they call this game? I said, yep. And she goes, well, I'll tell you what, if we're not done after this inning, you guys take Bray home. Cause Hannah has to stay with the team. She's the dugout mom. Oh, and, uh, and I was like, okay, but thankfully the, they did. It was the game was over, you know, yeah, after yeah, the inning. But yeah. she was like, because it's not safe. 
So I'm just telling you, if you are involved in a little league softball, whatever it is, if there's lightning, you stop playing to mm. look it up. Just Google it. How many kids get struck by lightning? Yeah. It's not a huge number. It just happens. Yeah. So there you go. LifeRadio.fm. It's the Mark and Mac show. <laughs> Over the years, one of the best, funniest jokes that have been made as a running gag have been about the uh, rats in New York City. Right. You know, are the rats in, you know, public, are they, are they politicians? Are they, you know. <laughs> They're going to run for uh, office one day. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, New York mayor. They actually do have a real rat problem, though. Yeah, they do. And we had a story a few weeks ago about uh, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, being in trouble for rats at uh, it's like an apartment building that he owns and they, he talked about, he's yeah, well, we're working on getting rid of the rats. They're just really bad. And he's actually been fined a couple of times. Well, that same guy, the New York mayor, Eric Adams Wednesday announced that Kathleen karate, an education department employee has been appointed New York's first ever rat czar. <laughs> it's part of Adams effort effort to combat a growing rodent population in the country's most populous city. Um, karate, whose official title is citywide director of rodent mitigation <laughs> said at a news conference, you'll be seeing a lot of me and a lot less rats. There's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> wow. Um, Adams, who has often expressed a deep hatred for rats, posted the job last year, seeking someone somewhat bloodthirsty with a general order of, of uh, hmm, I can't, I'm not going to say that word. Thank you very much. <laughs> and offering an annual salary between 120000 and 170000 Karate, a former teacher, is not new to the fight against rats. She previously oversaw rat mitigation efforts in the city's public schools. Now, think about that. One of the things your kids deal with every day going to school is rats. <laughs> rat sightings have jumped in recent years according to city data some officials have said the proliferation of sidewalk dining a concession to the covid19 pandemic that shut down the city's restaurants contribute to the uh, contributed to the problem all at dining outside the rats are like they're bringing the food to us the size of the city's rat population is unknown a 2014 study put the figure at around two million that's one oh. rat. that's one rat for every four residents um the brown rat, which likely arrived in New York sometime during the Revolutionary War era, era, has proven a crafty adversary, thriving despite numerous attempts to eradicate it from the city's warrens of subway tunnels and alleyways. Wow. That's an old rat. LifeRadio.fm, the Mark and Mac show. You know, just uh, we started off earlier today talking about Mark learning how to play golf at yeah. a much older age than many people start. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to get to, because again, we're in this world of DIYers. Okay, there are videos about everything if you want to do it yourself, and there are there's a generation of other people now growing up that they look at do-it-yourselfers and blame us for the world. You know, <laughs> obviously we've done something wrong, oh, but really. I, yeah, I mean, well, for them, come on, Mark. <laughs> These, I don't, they're not millennials. I don't know what they are. Yeah. I just know that they, they blame their parents for being born. Mm -hmm. I didn't ask to be born. Right. Yeah, you're yeah. right. You yeah. know, and I didn't ask to be your parent. But anyway, we're stuck with each other. But you hear this from these people. They say some of the craziest things, Mark. But I was thinking about this the other day. I thought, how many of these new, the ones growing up now that have grown up with a 
computer in their hand pretty much yeah and yeah. a desire to blame everybody for everything and complain publicly and air their dirty laundry and you know they have no they have no boundaries yeah but i was wondering how they, they will deal with things when they get older and they find out that i don't want to buy a new pressure washer i have one right here <laughs> it just isn't working right you know are they going yeah, to just yeah. are they going to put it up on facebook marketplace or on ebay as mm. part you know slightly used Right. Or are they going to fix it? What are they going to do? Mm. Well, our generation, we fix it. Right. Or we, we pay somebody to fix it. Yep. <laughs> or we try to convince our friend to fix it. <laughs> yep. So what was it for you yesterday on I, your fresh water? It was, me, it was me fixing it. And it, it actually, it was a project that got started weeks ago because right. I needed to use it to clean the transmission in, on uh, when I got it out from under the Miata because yeah, it was yeah. just, it was just, oh, it was nasty. It was covered with and all kinds of And if you're a new listener to the show, yeah. Mark has a toy. It's yeah. called the Miata. Yeah. It's a convertible. It was having problems and he decided to fix it on his own. Right. Because, you know, it, yeah. it's a toy. Yeah. And I'm not going to I'm not going to throw hundreds of dollars at somebody to do something I can do over a weekend or a month. Um, but the, the <laughs> for a year <laughs> or years, actually, that car, I'll be honest, <laughs> it's the only thing thing. that would have sped up the process on fixing that Miata was if it was in the front yard on blocks instead of in your garage. <laughs> The neighbors would be picketing. Yeah. But, uh, but I needed the pressure washer to work and it didn't, I couldn't get it to start. And our friend, Mike, <clears throat> who knows everything there is to know about small engines and repairing them, uh, told me he, you know, what to check. And I checked a handful of things and kind of narrowed the problem down and he had the part I needed. So a couple of weekends back, we met for breakfast. He, he handed me the part and yesterday I finally installed it. And, uh, I put the part back on the on the thing, and I've got it taken apart to the point where I can actually put a big uh, a big socket on the nut on top of the <laughs> the pull on the flywheel that you pull to start wow. these things with. And so I just used a drill to spin it up to start it, and it popped. Oh, it's going to start! Woohoo! This is awesome! And so um, I gave it another shot, changed the adjustments a little bit, choked it down, spun it up, and it starts running. And it's just, it's amazing. This big puff of black smoke blows out of it and it just, it runs. And I walked around it and, uh, and, uh, looked at it for a second while it ran, made sure it was okay. I let it run for, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds and then shut it down and started putting it all back together again. And when I was putting the bits and pieces back on it, when I walked around to the other side that I actually hadn't looked at up until now, there was oil everywhere. Hmm. <laughs> Wow. I had left the oil, the, the <laughs> tube that you pour oil through. Yeah. I had left the oil tube laying on the, on the work table <laughs> and oil had blown up out of that thing all over the table. It was all over the floor. And so I go and get the stuff to start cleaning everything up with. And, wow. and so I clean, I get everything pretty much cleaned up before I put it back together. Because if I don't, for one thing, it's going to smoke the whole time it runs for a while because there's oil. Well, you know, back in that you know. generation from where this yeah. pressure washer came from, everybody smoked. That's, you know, you're you're right. Washer. Yes. You saw them everywhere. Buses, trains. Anyhow, the, the, um, I, uh, I'm, I'm walking around it as I'm putting the last little bits of the plastic outer shell back on this thing. And I noticed there's oil spots on the floor. And I thought, did I miss that? No, I didn't miss that. No, it's creating new ones. <laughs> no, I, I looked up and it was dripping off of the, the garage door, which was up above my head. I'd opened the garage. <laughs> it had blown oil straight up into this, up into the air 
splattered all over the garage door and it was now dripping from the garage door onto the floor onto me onto the table onto Wow. I had a huge, huge mess I had to clean up yesterday. Man, B-Y-H. Yikes. LifeRadio.fm, Mark and Mac Show. You know, a little while ago, we were talking about the uh, rat czar in New York City. Yeah. And you made a joke at the end of it. You're that's an old rat. <laughs> you know, I'm, I was, I've been thinking about this. It's been in the back of my head, you know, for a little while, thinking uh-huh. about the rats and because they talk about having 2 million rats yeah. and you know in in the city of New York you've got about what 12 million people i i, I think that's roughly the population <laughs> i think, it's, a, I think it's about 8 million there's two there's a 2 eight. million rats one for every four residents so that would be wow yeah 8 million people wow yeah now do they, are they subway rats or do they are they bridge and tunnel rats or are we talking manhattan they live you know where do they live that's my thing um, because yeah they have a, ju- a comment there if you're in Manhattan, you know, that you have the Manhattanites. And then they have a ton, you know, they have their own terminology for people who work in Manhattan but don't live there. And they call them bridge and tunnel people, you know. And, oh, yeah. And it's like a way of mocking. And I wonder, do they mock the rats? Like, do, when they go down there in Manhattan, this is a Manhattan rat. Do the Manhattan rats get mad at the Brooklyn rats, you know, the Yonkers rats? Are there, they rat, have fights? Are, there, are there rat turf wars? Yes. That's what I'm asking. Do Are we like, you know, watching the bad, uh, the, you know, bad, vid, not bad video, but uh, beat it by Michael Jackson where they yes. divide up into the, yes. you know, really cleanly dressed uh, rat groups. And right, yeah. It's just maybe I started thinking about this and I thought, all right, we know it's a big enough problem that you've got a rat czar. That's going to get paid one hundred twenty to one hundred seventy thousand dollars a year. Now, look, just saying, if it costs four thousand dollars a month to rent a one bedroom apartment, one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year ain't going to cut it. You know. Mark and Mac mornings only on Life Radio FM. <clears throat> okay, let's try this uh, voiceover for the Mark and Mac show promo. In a world where laughter was king. Uh, no, in a world, Jack. What do you mean, no, in the world? It's not that kind of promo. Oh? Okay. In a land that... No, in a land either. In a time... I don't think so. In a land before time. It's about the Mark and Mac show. They're on the radio. One man. No. When your life is no longer your own. What the... When everything you know is wrong. That's wrong. In an outpost. No. On the edge of space. Space? A girl. No. Two girls. No. Now, no. more than ever. Stop it. A renegade cop. <sighs> a robot renegade cop. You're fired. You're fired. No, you're actually fired. I'm fired. Get out of the booth, Jack. No, I like it in here. LifeRadio.fm. It's the Mark and Mac Show. We appreciate you being here, you know? Oh, yeah. We do. We don't say it as often as we probably should, but to be honest with you, we're just so grateful that we've gotten by with, you know, plan A, that plan B never had to be used. So, <laughs> You know, a uh, funny thing happened to Joe Biden, the president of the United States, uh, again. Um, I don't mean, like, again, president, but again, you know, funny thing happened. He's in Ireland, and um, a kid asked a question about success. And and the question had to be interpreted for Joe. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm not kidding. It, it was like the kid said, what's the top step to success? Meaning, what's the key? You know, right, that yeah. was the, and yeah. and Biden went off on a COVID 
thing. And they're like, no, no, that's not what he's talking about. And oh, success, the key to success. He goes, well, I, I'm probably not the best person to answer that. You're the president of the United States of America. <laughs> People would seem to think that's successful, right? Yes. Oh, no, it's these, you need, these guys over here, they're the ones who really can tell you about that. Right. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, he is so, look, man, take politics out of this for a minute. Okay, for real. Let's just analyze who, uh, uh, who he is and what he's doing. He is not, he should not be, mm-hmm. um, he should not be working. He actually should be retired. Um, being Paul Paul and, and enjoy that, you know, because he, he, he obviously has mental, he's got some dementia or something, you know, yeah, he's not functioning as a guy that should have a finger near the big red button. Right. And right. that's scary to me. It's like, how can the people who actually say they love him allow this to continue? Yeah. And the thought of them thinking that this is our best choice for four more years, really mm. anybody, you know, my goodness, anybody would be better at this point. Because I, I don't know who's running the show. It's not him. No. It, it, it can't be. It because never, never if he happen. can't answer a simple question, you know. No. But then the worst part, for real, the worst part of all that, Hunter, his son, who we know is a train wreck of an individual. Yeah. He's the one that had to interpret it for his dad. Yeah. They got he's Hunter the, he's the handler, yeah. Yeah. And the reason he's the handler is so they can keep a handle on him. Right. And and oh my goodness. It, he makes a speech. Uh, the president made a speech somewhere and actually yeah. There is a quote in the speech, and there is a note when you're reading a teleprompter, it'll tell you this end of quote. It'll tell right. you, this is your, okay, this is your cue. You're out of your quote. Mm-hmm. Now you're back to the regular script. And right. he reads the directions on, yep. the, on the end of oh, quote. Yeah. And that's not the first time he's done that. Yeah. And oh, I know. This is a guy who's been around politics, made speeches, done this stuff for pretty much his entire adult life. And. Yeah. He is at a point in his life now where his brain is not functioning properly. Right. And he can't be running things. I, no. you and I have discussed this. We haven't discussed this actually on the show, but no, it's just, but it's, it's, it gets deep into stuff. I, yes. I think he was chosen by, by the Democrat party because one, they had all the dirt on him. He yeah. couldn't refuse Two, they knew he would do exactly what they want him to do. And, and so that's what he's doing. He is just the, he's just this front man, the puppet. They pull the strings. He says the words, and that's what's going on. The problem is that the strings are getting messed up. The puppet's not working right anymore, and it's becoming kind of obvious that something hinky is going on. LifeRadio.fm. It's the Mark and Mac Show. And, Mark, over the last couple of years, you and I have made many comments about the city of Detroit. Mm. Um, try not to be too mean because it's just been a, a city of exodus for a long time. It has. Yeah. And uh, not the biblical exodus. Just I'm talking about in general speaking terms. This was a city that in the 1950s, post-World War II, Detroit was a happening place. Mm-hmm. And then along about sometime about 25, 30 years after, you know, like around 75, 80, they started electing liberals into positions of power. Mm. And now it's a, it looks like a demilitarized zone. So when it says the headline says Detroit police cowboy up to lasso <laughs> small horse wandering the city streets, I'm thinking, really, that's where we are now that it's so desolate yeah. that if if a city, even if it's in the north in Detroit, that if you become a ghost town, the tumbleweeds and horses show up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Detroit's Metro police had to use some not so Metro policing methods when an unusual pet was spotted roaming the streets. It was 
It was a small horse. That's what they say. I doubt that. I think it was just a big rat. The, the uh, Detroit uh, Police uh, Department. <laughs> this is Detroit, not New York City. <laughs> That's right. The, the rats ran out of Detroit. Uh, the Detroit Police Department's second precinct said on Twitter that officers responded to a call about a loose horse roaming the streets last Tuesday. Um, officers summoned their inner cowboy abilities, then quickly corralled and lassoed the horse. The precinct tweeted police said the pony was taken in, uh, taken to a safe place, which they later identified as Abraham ranch in Clarkston. Is that where the, all the, all the dogs go to be happy? Uh, <laughs> officers said they are now attempting to identify the diminutive equines owner. Wow. Equine. <laughs> yeah. What do you call a horse that lives next door? A neighbor police quipped in a follow-up tweet wow i was thinking (laughs) horse with no name the song by america yes i've been through detroit on a horse with no name (laughs) got busted by the cops yeah (laughs) life radio.fm the mark and mac extravaganza pulling out of the station wondering where we're going but have no clue um you know, Mark, I really yes. stuck on the rat story earlier. Yeah. Uh, if you if you did if you're missing the show, you know you, we do a daily podcast, but we were talking about the rats and how they've hired in New York City and how they've hired mm, yeah. new rats are. And you know, there used to be those stories about alligators in this in the, in sewers, the sewers and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. I wonder if, for real, you know, I know rats are a problem in every city. Every city has rats. Okay. Right. We know, and we're talking about the you know, rodent type, not mm-hmm. the politician type. Yes. But the thing is, is that 2 million rats, and you said there are about 8 million or so people in New York, right. and you're right. Yeah. Um, and, but the thing is, is that you're talking about rats that have been a problem forever, and they haven't been able to figure this out, okay? For real, how do you really focus on something like this? Because this is a big problem, man. Yeah. yeah. When you've got 2 million rats, and 8 million people. Mm. Somebody's got to decide, you know, it's going to take more than one person, you know? And, and what if, I mean, you're going to tell me that we can put a man on the moon and, you know, 50 years later, we can't figure out a way to like spray something down there that doesn't kill humans, but kills rats. Mm. And if you do kill all the rats, what are you going to do with 2 million rat dead rats? Mm. That's a lot of meat, you know? Yeah. So, I, anyway, I just, for some reason, I keep hearkening back to the, 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 the typical, political solution to something to any problem when politics gets involved they uh, they hold a press conference everybody rah-rahs and they say we've got the solution to the problem they have a new policy a new Mm -hmm. program they they spend tax money and they wade into the problem to solve the problem and then 10 years later there's another resolution to solve all the problems that were created by the first resolution (laughs) solution right so yeah so what they're going to do is they're going to create more problems and the way i see this happening in new york is that this new rat czar will convince them to require everyone to own at least one cat so (laughs) so now you have eight million cats in the city wow Oh, my goodness. And New Jersey becomes the world's largest litter box. LifeRadio.fm, the Mark and Mac show. You know, Mark, in talking about the two million rats in New York City, (laughs) this headline just cracks me up. It says, German officials seize cooked bats. 
rats Ew. near the Belgian port. So I'm thinking maybe we could come up with a recipe for rat <laughs> and make it a really, you know, delectable, a treat that and make it very expensive, you know, hmm. and that way we could, you know, hey, we're going to make a dish with rat. We're going to fra- we'll flash freeze it and hmm. ship it anywhere in the world hmm. and make it a huge export item. I mean, just change the name. Don't call it rat meat. Don't I mean, call it some of the kind of meat yeah. that is a delicacy and is very rare. Yeah. Because most people don't eat rats. So you yeah. would call it a, a rare treat, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Just, just saying. It could work. Yeah, you just find out where in the world rat is is eaten because I'm some places in the place where they eat dogs and cats. Yeah. You know? you know, and there are, yeah, they're going to be countries where people eat rats. They're going to yes. be. So you find out what the local name for that dish is. That's what you call it. And it's not going to be an English name. So <laughs> you just call it by the, the native name for that particular dish. And everybody says, oh, we're going to that new restaurant that's serving up that new dish. You know, <laughs> you and I just gave away a billion dollar idea, Mark. <laughs> You're, you know what world? <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> LifeRadio.fm, the Mark and Mac Show. <laughs> Mark, there are days when I, you know me. I mean, we've done this for a long time. Yes. I get stuck on something and mm-hmm. it's just, it has so many different tentacles on the rat story out of New York City. Okay. It just won't go away. No, because I, there was a movie that came out in the early 90s. It was called Demolition Man. Yep. And it was one of those things where, you know, Sylvester Stallone's career has had many peaks and valleys, you know, where his style of, uh, of action figure, whatever Mm -hmm. has been in vogue or not. And I think demolition man was kind of like, um, around the same time as cliffhanger. I don't know which one came out first, but it was, it was a movie that featured Sandra Bullock, Mm. um, and Wesley Snipes, Rob Schneider. I mean, it had, uh, Bill Cobb had a, a, a good cast, I think. And, and it, I like the movie. Okay. It just, it came out in 93 yeah. and I liked the movie. I thought it was funny and whatever, but they didn't set it far enough in the future. And it just, you know, didn't, it's like, like we're living in that era. Okay. Yeah, of yeah. What was being depicted as future. And yeah. it just didn't hold for me. But anyway, in it, they go down in the sewer and uh, Stallone has been, you know, frozen guy for a long time. They thought him out to come back and fight the bad guy. Because mm-hmm. anyway, and he's eating this burger. And Sandra Bullock, you know, he's oh, it's the best burger I've ever had. And she goes, just don't ask where the meat came from. <laughs> and he looks around and she goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, do you see any cows down here, detective? And he's like, oh, no. He asked the girl cooking, yeah, you know. Who has a unibrow going on? Boy, isn't it weird you remember something like that? It is. And, it's very yeah. weird. Well, you'll understand it if you watch the movie. Yeah. Um, and he asked her in Spanish. He speaks her. He's where where the where the meat come from? And she said, "It's rat. You know, it's rat burger." And and anyway, so it's just one of those things that just cracked me up. Oh my goodness! So if you got two million rats, I don't think we're that far off, Mark. That's right. what I'm saying. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, yeah, could German be, officials yeah. have already stolen our idea. Yeah, okay, could be worse. Could be bats. Guess what? Mm-hmm. German officials seized cooked bats and nearly a ton of unrefrigerated fish after police stopped a van that had entered the country from Belgium. Authorities say, and you thought I was kidding about places yeah. that eat rat. If they'll eat bat, they'll eat anything. Fed, uh, federal police said a patrol on Monday stopped the vehicle at a highway exit on the edge of the border city of Aachen and found the bats under the fish. A vet from the local consumer protection office was sent to the scene and ordered the bats and fish confiscated. Police seized the van, which was uninsured. 
as if that matters. Uh, the 31-year-old driver, an Ivorian citizen, faced a criminal complaint for traffic offenses and unauthorized entry because he entered the country without papers or a driver's license. He also faces administrative proceedings for violations of food hygiene rules, and local authorities were looking into whether he violated conservation laws relating to the bats. A a court in Aachen on Tuesday ordered the driver held in custody pending his handover to authorities in Italy, where he is registered as living. Wow. (laughs) So they're they're concerned about the welfare of the bats. (laughs) Wow. Conservation laws. <laughs> you know, Mark, when I got attacked by a bat for invading his space in, you know, yes. Belfry, um, and I talked about it on the air, I got, got really, I got, I got a number of emails from people who just drug me down the tent, you know. The, really? Yeah. Well, you can't like, do no, that to those poor little right. bats. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, you know what? If you're ever face to face with a bat in your attic, you do what you got to do, man. Yeah. But they were like, no, they're good for the environment. I'm like, no, they're not. They're, they're, you know what? They're only good for is for Fruit of the Loom because they guarantee you're going to be buying new underwear. LifeRadio.fm. It's the Mark and Mac show. You know, so far today, we have had your Guinness Book of World Records story. Mm-hmm, yeah. We've had uh, bats and rats. Mm-hmm. I mean, and now we have fat o'clock. I think we have gone from preaching to meddling, Mark. <laughs> yeah, fat o'clock uh, is the time when we ditch our diet and start eating comfort food. <laughs> I think all of us know what this means. And according to research, yes, there's been research, probably paid for by your tax dollars. Right. That time, fat o'clock, is 7 p.m. on Sunday nights. Almost half of the people in the study fell for comfort food between 7 p.m. and 10 p.m. on Sundays. Wow. <laughs> Another dangerous time for your diet is between 3 and 5 in the afternoon. I can attest to that. I know between 3 and 5, I'm like, I got to have something. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Between 5 and 7 p.m. was the third most popular time to abandon your healthy snacks and go for something wow. tasty. And you know what? The reality here is that the worst time to actually eat is between 7 p.m. and 10 p.m. Yes, you know? It yeah. It, it's like I have told you the Dave Mack diet, which is eat whatever you want until you're full. Don't eat after 6 at night, you yeah. know? Yeah. And drink a lot of water. Those right. are a couple of the basics if you want to lose weight. And, of course, we all know, eat less, exercise more. Mm-hmm. So, But if you drink a lot of water, our body, oftentimes when you and I are hungry, um, we're actually, our, you know, when you can't quite figure out what to eat, it's because your body wants water. You know, we require a lot of water. We just mm-hmm. don't drink a lot of water. Yeah. But anyway, it's not like I'm a healthy guy. I don't even pretend to be one. All I know is that I spent the better part of a year and a half slowly losing weight on purpose um, to only have all of my family think <laughs> I was dying and I was lying to them. And no matter what I said, no matter what I did, they didn't believe me. They I'm, I'm not it, Yes, it, it caused a real riff in our family. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, you know what? So I actually purposely started eating ice cream in bed that <laughs> night. After 7 p.m. Yep. And I put, I put the weight back on. And yeah. then I put some more on. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, they do sell bigger size pants, you know. <laughs> liferadio.fm it's the mark and mac show you know mark you and i both uh 
talk about movies and, and enjoy movies a lot. Yeah. Um, when Arnold Schwarzenegger became the governor of California, um, you know, his career is, it, he's had many ups and downs in his career. He's sure. made a couple of real doozies, but, um, it was funny when people realized he was actually funny, you know, and that yeah. he was more yeah. well-rounded as a person as a, an actor, because, you know, with an accent as thick as Arnold, you know, mm -hmm. and his body being a bodybuilder, it's kind of difficult to think of him as anything but that. Right. And, but I thought when he did the movie um, with Danny DeVito, where they played uh, twin brothers, Twins, you know, yes. Yeah. That's what <laughs> opened it up, you know, for so many other things that he has done since then. And, and I love it. I think it's really cool. But um, he's there's a movie he's doing. It's on Netflix right now, I think. And it is um, about a sheriff of a small town that an escaped fugitive, okay, uh, a bad guy has escaped custody, and the FBI and everybody's coming in to get him. And he, you know, the, the uh, promo for the movie is Schwarzenegger as the town sheriff comes walking in to this diner. And there's two guys at the diner, stools at the counter, and a cook. And he says, look, you guys need to go out, click, go home, lock your door, stay inside. There's a, an escaped criminal on the loose. And the guy looks at him and goes, I'm 72 years old. Um, I've got high cholesterol. And I just ordered eggs with extra cheese and extra bacon for breakfast. He goes, if you think I'm worried about death, <laughs> you know, and that's he, good. Schwarzenegger looks at the other guy sitting with him and he goes, don't ask me. I'm, I ordered the same thing. And, uh, anyway, it was just one of those things. I thought, okay, I might have to watch this movie yeah. just because it seemed funny, but you know, I thought after he was the governor that he would never go back to acting. I really mm, did. I thought yeah. he's never going to be able to make it back, but it just goes to show you, you know, that no matter what you have done in life, you know, yeah, he's even, that, he's even gone back to the Terminator role a couple of times. Yeah, he has. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know what? I forgot about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Boy, I, now I'm really weirded out about that actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? He was in a movie called Escape Plan with uh, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. It was one of the first movies he did on, after he had been, you know, the governor for a while. Right. And I thought it was an enjoyable, entertaining film. And what was really cool is uh, in the movie, um, there was a part where uh, our, okay, he's a friend of the show, uh, Michael Papajohn. Uh, we mm -hmm. met Michael. Yeah. He's uh, from Vestavia, which is the Birmingham yeah. metro area. Yeah. And he went to college at Louisiana State, uh, LSU as a baseball player and he's a nice guy. He's been an actor in so many movies, uh, as a stunt guy or as a bad guy, right, like bad yeah. guy's henchman is like his main role. He has been beaten up by Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, so many times that when they were doing Terminator three and they saw each other on cast, do I get says, to ah, kill you again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how do you want to do it? You know? And, uh, anyway, so I'm watching escape plan and I see it. Here he is. He's in a fight scene with Arnold. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just awesome because you know, it's just, this is one guy has built an entire career out of being beat up and killed by the, the major star of the movie. He yeah. even got beat up by Cameron Diaz in the first <laughs> Charlie's Angel beat. You know? And remember what happened? Yeah. He, she, they were doing the scene in this movie. She's wearing high, like stiletto shoes. Mm. And in the scene, she has to high kick and trap his head. He has yeah. his neck with the, the heel and the, yeah. and, and it cut him on the neck and oh. he went to the emergency room. Oh my. And when nice. they said, how did it happen? He said, you know, they didn't think he was an actor. <laughs> right. And yeah. they're, yeah. So they were like uh, calling the cops because of domestic violence and he uh, was hurt. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah. back to Arnold. He's in the yeah. news. He's, right. uh, 
he took some the matters into his own hands and he repaired a pothole in his neighborhood in LA after waiting for weeks for the city to respond to his request for repairs. He was a he's the frustrated actor and former California governor posted a video on his Twitter Tuesday of him and a helper using packaged concrete to repair the road in the Brentwood area. Uh, he wrote on Twitter today after the whole neighborhood has been upset about this giant pothole that's been screwing up cars and bicycles for weeks. I went out with my team and fixed it. I always say, let's not complain. Let's do something about it. Here you go. <laughs> a neighbor who drove by as he was uh, covering the hole rolled down her car window and shouted her thanks. <laughs> he said, you're welcome. <laughs> he was he was wearing work boots, a leather jacket and shades kind of looked like the Terminator. Wow. Um, he said, you have to do it yourself. This is crazy. For three weeks, I've been waiting for this hole to be closed. Uh, Daniel Ketchell, a spokesman, a spokesperson for Schwarzenegger, has said Brentwood residents made repeated requests for repairs since winter storms opened up potholes and cracks on local roads. Now, well, there is there more to this story. It turns oh. out that that hole he filled was actually an access trench that had been dug by the, by the uh, utilities people in order to work on some gas lines or something in the area. And the, see, he went and filled it in, <laughs> but it had been there for six months open. Like oh, come that. on. Yes. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> they, they deserve to be out here for that one. Yes. Good job, Arnold. Life radio FM, the market Mac show. You know, when we were talking earlier today about golfing and learning to golf at a later age in life and yeah. mentioned Tiger Woods at times, we talked about his uh, having to drop out of the Masters, you know, and some of his some of his trials and tribulations during his comeback from not just having back problem, knee problem, yeah. life problem, car wreck problem. I mean, yeah. he's had a lot of uh, a lot of tough issues, but Tiger Woods golf ball mm -hmm. auctioned off. Now, I guess it's. Does he use a special golf ball, Mark, that has, like, radar built into it and a diamond implant? You know, what's going on with this golf ball no. that makes it so special? This is a story a lot like other stories where, where a fan will end up with an article of clothing or something that belongs okay. to a sports figure. And right. later, we'll decide, I can make some bucks off of this. Okay. Right? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Tiger Woods might have had to withdraw from this year's Masters, but the sale of Woods-related memorabilia continued unabated. On April 8th, when the golf ball used by Woods during the final round of his historic Masters win in 1997, it was sold for $64,124.40 in an auction. Wow. wow. 64 grand for a golf ball. According wow. to the auction site, the consigner, Julian Nexon, was nine years old in 1997 and was attending the Masters with his father and friends. They were stationed between the fifth green and sixth tee box as Woods was walking by during his final round. Tiger had just bogeyed the fifth hole. As he walked to the sixth tee box, Tiger handed the young lad his Titleist golf ball, presumably retiring the one he had just used to make the bogey after he found a greenside bunker with his approach shot. The auction garnered 53 bids starting at 500 bucks when it opened on March 27th. However, as with most auctions, the bidding got spirited near the end. On the morning of April 8th, the high bid was $12,793. But in the last two hours, 20 bids were received, and the price nearly doubled 
from $33,180 to $64,124.40. Although the the final price is impressive, it doesn't come close to matching the more than $5 million Woods uh, Tiger Slam irons reaped or the more than $300,000 some of his backup putters have brought. It's closer to the nearly $140,000 Woods Sunday shirt from 1997 (laughs) has fetched. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That red shirt. He always wears a red shirt on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I can see the guy that bit on that, though, was a scientist, and uh, he's got uh, Tiger Woods sweaty (laughs) DNA. I got it. I can clone him now. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Mark and Mac are back. The Mark and Mac Show, weekday mornings on (laughs) liferadio.fm.